everyone. Welcome to Supply Chain Talk with me, Chris Middleton. I'm a, a journalist of 25 years experience. If you want to find out more about me, uh, you can find me at chrismiddleton.company, but it's uh, not compulsory. The most important thing is uh, introducing our, our panellists uh, to, to discuss strategies to mitigate risk with um, in your supply chain. And I think risk is something we're all familiar with um, over the past couple of years. Um, joining us today are Dr. Abigaj, who's Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Cranfield School of Management. Uh, Abby is a thought leader in supply chain resilience, and he's worked with multiple organizations, modeling implications and devising mitigation strategies for emerging risks, which would include climate change and also cybersecurity, which is um, you know, of growing importance when we talk about supply chains, which are obviously a lot more digital today. Um, also joining us is Panos Anastasiou, Senior Director, America's Indirect Procurement for McCain Foods, very familiar brand, I'm sure. Panos is a supply chain and procurement professional with over 20 years of pharma, food and F&B experience at pharmaceuticals, I should say. And also finally joining us on the panel is Liam Costello, and he's Global Supply Chain Logistics Capabilities Manager at Intel, huge uh, tech name, of course. Liam looks after global logistics systems for Intel uh, to enable all of its product flows from order all the way through to delivery, which I'm sure you can imagine is a huge global operation. As well as this, uh, Liam's team manage integration of all new business and M&A within uh, Intel's logistics network, which also incorporates network design activities. So very much a supply chain that extends from, from the physical to, to the digital, as many do today. Um, sending his apologies, by the way, Gerald Mavula, supply chain management of First Quantum Minerals. Um, due to uh, connectivity problems, he wasn't able to join us at the last minute, but we had to see him in the future. So gentlemen, I, I thought a good starting point um, for today's discussion was uh, a piece I found on UMSL Daily. We've shared the link um, for those of you watching online. Um, and it was looking at how the COVID-19 pandemic created severe fractures in supply chains, as I'm sure we all remember. Um, uh, global disruption was fairly obvious, but um, what also followed on from that was changes in behavior, I think it's fair to say. Um, it Not just changes in consumer behavior, the article says, but very much forced changes in communication and collaboration across divisions internally within some companies and also within wider supply chains. And the article says um, very much that collaborative communication is what helps divisions of companies involved in supply chain management stay on the same page and mitigate the severity of the challenges that we've experiencing uh, we've been experiencing over the past three years um, lack of communication across collaborate uh, and collaboration across divisions excuse me um, stood out as the main factor in the supply chain disruptions that occurred during the height of the pandemic so um, uh, dr. Abby, um, what, what are your thoughts on this? I know you had some um, some strong feelings about this, Abby, in terms of you know perhaps over communicating across the supply chain. 
um, as a result of this. But what, what were your feelings about the article? And you perhaps would you like to share them with right. us? Uh, th- thanks, Grace. Uh, like clearly, a COVID pandemic has given rise to lots of use of digital platforms. So we have moved, um, you know, started working online, and that has actually led to a lot of uh, use of uh, modern day digital platforms. But in in uh, in a sense, uh, that has also given us an opportunity to really work closely online, uh, and that collaborative communication is obviously uh, significantly increased. There have been some challenges in terms of obviously uh, the cybersecurity challenges, what we are seeing or the issues what we are having in currently, like in terms of the panel member not able to join due to technical mm. issues. But then I think the communication is a key and collaborative communication is definitely going to be the stage where we would uh, we would like to work towards in terms of this uh, con- transition from conventional supply chains to the digital supply chains. I suppose with uh, digital supply chains, that communication, the collaboration can be bi-directional. You can be communicating upstream and downstream and also dealing with your your technology suppliers, your software suppliers, as well as your physical suppliers. So so what are the challenges, would you say, um, uh, Abby, in in, in that uh, situation in terms of establishing both upstream and downstream communication? I think, you know, like if I could talk from the cybersecurity perspective, there are several a set of, you know, like emerging challenges, what we have started seeing. Some of them are like what we call it as a physical threat, where which which typically originates from the, you know, like a disruption to a functioning or a deliberate damage to some kind of physical infrastructure. So it could be like issues with servers, uh, climatic conditions impacting the, uh, you know, the facilities which are supporting digital supply chain, or it could be something related to the uh, lack of, uh, you know, like what we call firewalls and similar other issues, which actually inhibit the ability to really communicate with the different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. We may also have like uh, increasing challenges. Uh, clearly, we have started seeing the uh, emergence of what we call it as direct and indirect attack, where there are lots of, um, uh, you know, virus attacks which are happening, not just for the individual or a smaller organization, but also for the larger organizations, where we have seen like um, a petro- petroleum company in US actually had to pay the ransom for, for, for the cyber attack. So yeah. clearly, these are some of the emerging challenges which I see when we are trying to transition towards the digital supply chains. Thank you. Okay. Um, Panos Anastasiou, um, obviously, McCain has very much a physical supply chain, but I'm sure very much a digital one as well. So, so what were your thoughts about um, trying to establish greater resilience in, in this new culture where we're collaborating upstream and downstream? What are the challenges you found in your organization? How have you tried to mitigate them? So I've worked for a number of companies that have managed supply chains, especially physical, both um, in retailers, uh, contract manufacturers, but also warehouses and distribution centers. And on the physical aspect of things, um, first of all, having a, a very integrated SNOP, sales and operational process, is fundamental for people to talk demand planning, talks to supply planning, supply planning, talks to procurement. Uh, and we understand the forecasting and what we need to do. So collaboration, communication, clear lines of communication is key. Um, once that is established, then you can actually take action to ensure you put the right product at the right hands of the consumer and the customer. Um, there is a sweet spot between communication and over-communication, um, and we chatted about this a bit yesterday. Sometimes over-communication 
can actually lead to a bit of analysis paralysis and no decision making. So we need to be clear at some point the communication stops and decision is made and people stick to the decision and execute with excellence. Um, and there's another point where sometimes over communication or in very mature organizations, people start tripping on each other and trying to do each other's work. Demand planning needs to do demand planning work. Supply planning needs to do supply planning work. The plants need to produce. And the procurement guys need to make sure that they actually get the right materials at the right level at the right plants. Uh, when we try to do each other's jobs, then that's when it gets messy. Uh, and we need to, everyone should play, if it's in a football analogy or soccer, play your position. If you're a goalkeeper, play goalkeeper. If you're a striker, play striker. If you're a midfielder, play midfielder. But don't suddenly start running around the field trying to do everyone else's job because it creates chaos. Yeah, that, that's that's a great analogy. Thank you. Um, Liam Costello, um, Intel, huge global um, multinational organization, um, big complex supply chains. Um, what, what did you make of the article and its findings about uh, the yeah. culture of collaboration? Yeah, and like, you know, during the pandemic, we had to, everyone, I'm sure, had to go into communication overdrive. But prior to, you know, it kind of relates to what Pana said there, we had to, you know, after that started, we had a lot of panic. So, for example, what you see in our in our China, you know, distribution hubs, we were uh, we were you know the, the lockdowns even last year, um, we had you know only a certain amount of people allowed on site, so we were constrained what we could ship. So, while our normal operation would be okay, orders download into the digital network, you know, we ship to order or whatever. We then had to get into okay, well, what's the highest priority? Who's got what customers are going lines down? So we had to. You know, talk, talk to our customers, try and understand the real needs. But then we had to, because our, our distribution operations, that's all third-party logistics, we had to control the communication flow to them so they're not overburdened with it, let them concentrate on what they can do. So, you know, it was controlling the message. We had to filter it, control it, and, um, you know, parse it and pass on. You know, we had to make sure what was, was clear going to the distribution network so they could execute on a clear plan. And just constantly changing that you know you know because the, the the old networks digital networks they worked so well but you know you had to get drive this extra level of communication during the pandemic particularly during the the worst of the lockdowns the the article is suggesting that collaborative communication is what helps companies um stay on the same page but um from what all of you have been saying to some degree it might be possible to over communicate to start uh, as panos was saying moving outside of your traditional roles um, uh, on the field, as it were. Um, uh, you know, are we still really learning this environment, this more digital um, environment in terms of managing our supply chains? And are, uh, could we be doing it better? But what, what are the strategies for success, Leo? And yeah, come into... Yeah, no, I, th I think we've learned from that and we've adapted some of our digital tools now to be able to cope with some of this um, almost real-time order rescheduling, order management that, you know, the just bulk order downloads, okay, that works well, but then you have to prioritize within the priorities. And so we've adapted our, our systems to be able to cope with that. And so to give um, our stakeholders, our internal stakeholders, the opportunity to do that. So we don't all have to get on these, uh, you know, twice a day, you know, task force calls to try and, uh, you know, filter the, you know, the filter out the noise. We, our systems have now adapted to be able to cope with this type of, um, uh, changes in demands that we need to cope with. Hmm. Um, the uh, uh, Dr. Gudge um, raised issues uh, to do with cybersecurity. 
Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. One of our talking points for today is, um, you know, looking at ways to mitigate different forms of risk, and obviously, cybersecurity is is a key part of that. Um, I've been sort of reading a lot of reports. In fact, I wrote a report fairly recently about um, cyber attacks on supply chains and uh, attacks on sort of code repositories. Um, the ways that um, attackers are finding their way into organizations, appearing as though they uh, uh, are legitimate employees and then sort of gradually w extending out through through the network and getting permissions and so on. So, so um, some of the attacks are digital in terms of, you know, there are like the Log4j uh, attacks and so on, um, which are on sort of code repositories, but some of them are also on the ways that people are doing business digitally and people are finding access into organizations that way. So so what have your findings been? Um, Dr. Gouch, you first of all, then. Right, yeah, uh, I, I think this is a very interesting question. Uh, in terms of uh, supply chain risk mitigation, we always see this as a two-way approach where we have got proactive mitigation strategies and the reactive mitigation strategies. What we have come across in terms of you know, the, the studies uh, looking at cybersecurity risks and the mitigation strategies used by the companies is in terms of the pre-attack or a proactive risk mitigation, there have been uh, some very uh, standard strategies being used like accreditation against security standards, for example, or uh, trying to have like, you know, like a, a more of a network audit with the digital supply chains to make sure that all the supply chain systems are really uh, seamless and then there are no bottlenecks or weaknesses in terms of the cybersecurity risks. But then there are some radical uh, strategies which are coming up like zero trust policy or zero trust uh, like, you know, communication uh, like policies where, uh, you know, anybody who is going to be provided with access to the system needs to go go through this authentic authentication and the verification process. So that's a, that's a, these are becoming very important strategies. But if I could briefly talk about the post-attack, when the attack has really happened, we can't really do anything much. But obviously, there are ways to sol salvage the amount of damage what we, you can face. And some of those strategies revolve around, obviously, uh, insurance is a, a one mitigation strategy for the financial loss. But then recovery and backup procedures, uh, forensics, data consistency checks, these are some of the mechanisms through which you can at least identify what has been really impacted and then try to recover or restore what has not been impacted and then work on those elements which are really creating uh, chaos. So lo lots of uh, approaches being followed, uh, both proactively as well as reactively. Thank you. Um, Panos, uh, any thoughts on that? And, and, and particularly uh, one thing I'd throw in there as well on top of what uh, Dr. Gaj said is, is the reputational damage that can come from cyber attacks as well, um, you know, as well as the financial, the, the lasting reputation and trust damage that might be done if, if it becomes known in the wider community that, uh, you know, that an organization has fallen victim to, to a cyber attack. And, it, 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 and it's very important for companies that have a retail presence and are a familiar brand to, I mean, ideally to what Dr. Abigad said is, ideally you need to be proactive about it and have all the systems and measures and do pen testing and internal communications and awareness of the employees so you don't fall victim to it. Um, when you fall victim to it, my again, this is my personal opinion, not a, not a company one, but you should be transparent about it. We all make mistakes. We all are 
we may or may not be subject to this in the future. Uh, it may come for all of us. And when it happens to you, you need to raise your hand and say, we, we're sorry, we have a problem. This is what's going on. We're trying to do the best of it. I think transparency is always the best policy. Never lie. Um, reveal the right things, but don't reveal too much so that you do damage for your mitigation plans. Um, and actually, to that, Chris, I wanted to ask Dr. Abby Gatsky's professional opinion. Do you ever... Should you ever pay the ransom or not? Or what do you do in that? See, I think I think uh, it, it's important that the information about cyber attack is shared with with its network and wider stakeholders because you know it really has get got its cascading impact. Whenever there is any impact on, a, let's say, an airline, it obviously uh, impacts the 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 chain of uh, you know uh, airline activity, and thus it's very important to. Uh, share that information. But then uh, it's a very uh, difficult question to really answer whether we should pay or not, because there have been incidences where supply chains have actually paid those ransoms because they simply do not have way out uh, in terms of that. But I think I think the cybersecurity uh, experts are really uh, trying to address these challenges and try to resolve it uh, instead of really you know, paying for those uh, those uh, those criminal activities. Um. Liam, um, any thoughts uh, in terms of um, what uh, we've just been saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about paying, but I, I know from ourselves and a lot of work we've done the past couple of years on this, um, we found our weakest links have not so much been, you know, Intel. We pride ourselves on, you know, digital security. It's one of our things we're trying to sell as, as a company. Yeah. So we found our weakest points have actually in our supply chain have actually been our suppliers. Um, you know, you see, you can control your own network, you know, access different things. But we had um, a significant cyber attack with one of our suppliers, um, and it, you know, it, it really impacted us, shut us down for uh, shipping order for about about a week. Um, and you know, our key learning from us, okay, number one, we weren't paying sufficient enough attention to the cyber security of our suppliers, but also that you know we had this. Unbeknownst to ourselves, we had the single point of failure in terms of our um, our supply chain. That you know, we we had to come up with an alternative way of supplying product. If one, if each network, if one uh, part of the network should go down for whatever reason, so we've done a lot of work in that space. We've a, a third party um, cybersecurity company that. Um, I think they do it for all companies. You can, uh, I think it's Scorecard IO. You can go on to them and you can see, okay, for any particular company, from a supply chain perspective, you know how they rate each company. And some of the results we found were quite startling. And we started then working with our suppliers on, you know, uh, getting them to subscribe to this. Okay, identify their risks and to start addressing that so proactively. Um, and now part of our contract negotiation with suppliers that they're taking proactive steps to improve their uh, cybersecurity. I, I saw one report uh, from a cybersecurity vendor, so obviously, you know, not necessarily a neutral party in this discussion, but they described it as a um, like as being like the butterfly effect, you know, from uh, from the proverbial butterfly effect from from films in t in terms of you know one tiny event can then fan out across the the whole organisation and, and sort of have ca catastrophic effects. Pardon me, um, as it becomes networked, you know, so one point yeah. of failure can become multiple points of failure. So uh, given that we're talking about very integrated supply chains with upstream and downstream communications, is this, you know, an emerging risk that we're finding that we are all so connected that as you were saying, Liam, you know, um, a risk in one part of your supply chain from a supplier, 
perhaps a lax processes or, or a problem with their code repository, it could come from anywhere, can then fan out across a, you know, a networked supply chain and, and create problems for, for everyone. Yeah, ab- absolutely. In this particular case, you know, it wasn't even that they had weak networks. There were some of the security patch updates on their uh, PCs. They were just weren't they weren't acting on them. You know, something as simple as, as that. Um, you know, so how do you control it? And how far down into the chain do you need to start reaching to you know driving uh, you know um, cybersecurity uh, enhancement? So it's. It, with, with the integration, you know, it can get in any way and then it's it's across the network and everything is digital. So, yeah, it starts creating false signals, all sorts of uh, problems in, throughout the supply chain. Um, Dr. Um, Abigail, sorry, panelist, did you want to come in there? Yeah, yeah I wanted to. So I, I wouldn't call it an emerging risk because we've been aware of it for, I mean, I used to work in cybersecurity in a previous company as, as a procurement professional and that was back in 2016-17. So, by now, it's an established risk. It's not more emerging. And to Liam's point, it may have, multi- and to your point, it may have a butterfly effect. I think our responsibility as companies is to to have both in digital supply chain, but also physical supply chain, because both sides of the risk are the, the same in terms of mitigation. You need to have it compartmentalized enough that when something floods, you can isolate it and actually resolve the flooded compartment and then while you continue with the rest uh, and then learn from it. Um, because if the more backup solutions you have and the more qualified suppliers and the more backup IT systems you have to that point and the more cloud solutions you have that you can actually restore your data, then the more prepared you are for something that will eventually happen. It's not a matter of which, if it will flood, it's which compartment will flood, how big is it, how quickly can you isolate it and how fast you can drain it when it floods. Hmm. Um, Panos, incidentally, there's a little uh, distortion on your mic. You might want to move it slightly further away from... That's probably better. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're backing up a little. Um, but I, I think we heard all of that, but uh, so thank you for doing that. Um, I wasn't making the point that um, cybersecurity is, is a new issue. It's more the cultural issue of, of this sort of upstream, downstream communication and collaboration that, that might have intensified you know, since the pandemic, because we all had to collaborate more intensively so that perhaps some of the management processes are you know are not well enough established for dealing with a cyber attack in one part of a complex supply chain so um, that was more the point I was making um, uh, Dr. Abigail um, on that point um, in these very complex supply chains and particularly if you've got large organizations we've got McCain and, and Intel uh, on the on the call with us today um, what are the strategies you would say for managing and mitigating risk? If, if you're, um, you know, the the uh, the main person in the supply chain in terms of managing it and integrating it and getting all of the supplies moving, you know, but what what are the strategies for minimising these types of risk from a management point of view? Right. Yeah. Now, I think I think there is, there is an uh, you know we, we have a lot of talk on supply chain resilience. You know, we need to probably 
build that resilience across supply chains to proactively address the, the upcoming you know foreseen uh, unforeseen challenges but then uh, there is a need to actually move from now resilience to adaptability because we have clearly seen it during the covid that resiliency in terms of let's say just in time or lean philosophy is not going to work and you need to adapt to those changes so there's no one single strategy which really fits well you need to look at different kinds of strategies right from let's say procurement uh, like uh, multi sourcing strategy for example or like ethical sourcing we are moving more towards sustainability practices in manufacturing looking at low carbon manufacturing practices or when it comes to distribution and uh, retailing as well looking at how can we actually uh, reduce the uh, you know your resource utilization by moving the platforms more digital as well as uh, more driven by the customers rather than driven by the distributors and retailers so uh, there, there is no one single strategy to really address these challenges depending upon you know whatever whatever is the risk but the the the, the key aspect here is to how you can build your supply chains more resilient or more adaptable and whatever is the best strategy to really uh, you know address those challenges is is the best way to go forward mm. Um, Panos, uh, Liam, uh, any thoughts about what 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 have been your strategic um, main goals um, over the past couple of years, sort of post COVID, as it were? Now we're sort of coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. So what, what learnings from the pandemic experience have, have you found yourself applying in terms of managing supply chains better? Yeah, I, I think it's actually becoming now something customers are actually demanding. Um, and mm. I think if you have if you've shown resilience in your supply chain and adaptability and you know um through different risks through the, through the years we have learned you know um and to be able to cope with them and if you can keep keep shipping keep keep things moving um in the in the face of you know supply chain chaos then that becomes a, a unique selling point and i know it's something for us in a way um as we get into different aspects of business so for example intel is trying to get into the foundry business and this is something again we're showing as okay with our geo- geographic footprint that we have a, a unique selling point um, to offer customers that we we have some of the um, resilience natural resilience in our network. It's just how do we harness that and sell that to our customers? Hmm. So some of the other strategies that I've seen um, coming up um, from a journalistic standpoint is is using predictive tools to to predict where problems might occur in the supply chain and to be prepared for them. Um, the use of AI to start analyzing data from historic problems and start saying we need to think about this issue in advance because we're seeing those trends starting to emerge again. Uh, and also the issue of um, scenario planning, um, like planning for the worst case scenario. And so if it happens, you, you're already, you've already considered it. Um, Panos, so are any of those things, um, strategies that you're following uh, at McCain? Well, there's a few areas that, and to and to build on Liam as well, um, you know, we we have realized. I think all of us in supply chain and procurement have realized that having single source is an issue. That having one global supply chain can be an issue, and you need flexibility of both global and regional and local, um, so you can swap. Uh, and that's part of scenario planning. Um, in the worst case scenario, to your point you need to have done a prioritization of both the services you provide and if it's product, the SKUs you provide, and you keep running the high movers and you, for lack of a better word, you sacrifice low profitability services, low profitability products, low movers, because that's what keeps your company running until you resolve the issue. Um, and that scenario planning 
an analysis needs to be done in advance of a crisis because the moment the crisis hit, you cannot do both <laughs> SKU segmentation and analysis and prioritization of choices and what you produce and what service you provide. It's too late because um, people will run around frantically. Um, and then you can have digital systems even from basic ERP tools, frankly, but also more advanced, that tells you here's your high moving services, your high moving SKUs, your high profitable materials, your high profitable services that you then give priority when the things go wrong. And then for those, you also need to have done the right supply chain evaluation of do we have multiple suppliers qualified? Do we have enough inventory or capacity in the system if things go wrong? Uh, and at some point, it's a cost value equation because if, if you try to resolve for everything, you become unprofitable. So at which point is the sweet spot where you say, I've done enough, anything beyond that is excessive and will actually drive my, my cost to the, to, to the roof. Hmm. Uh, incidentally, I, I see from the chat that there's a, a question from Ashley Cook, but I can't see what the question is. So um, I don't know if somebody can uh, find a way of bringing the question up for me. Um, Okay, so as we strive to have a more connected supply chain with both global and local ecosystems, is it not now incumbent on the primary tier one organizations to build resilience into their supply chains and encourage the minimization of risk and therefore bake in the cost? That's an interesting question. Um, gentlemen, who wants to take that? Yeah, I, I think I answered a while ago. Absolutely, it is. Um, you mm. can, Paris even referenced it there. You you can no longer have these uh, single points of failure. So, the customer they expect, um, you know, when they place an order product, you know, they they don't understand the the whole supply chain that goes back up through the network. You have to make sure you have that multiple routes through your network uh, mm. from start to finish to deliver on that. So that's something that we have started to look at. We probably paid lip service to it pre-pandemic um post-pandemic i i i know we are many many others are all doing the same thing we you kind of answer your question around we're doing a lot of uh, uh digital modeling of our networks uh we're looking at a lot more um uh, risks you know interesting you know you would have had pandemic on your on your um risk assessments previously but you, mm. you know everyone said oh, that'll never happen you know, but, you know, now we, we've seen the reality. These things can. Um, so the, the scenario planning that goes on um, is is much more robust, I would think. And to, you know, to make test all those different nodes and that, you know, even as we're designing products now, we're looking at those single points of failure and we're mm. trying to uh, build that um, that resilience in at the design phase. Um, one of the uh, talking points um, which we shared with uh, the audience today is the need to diversify your supply chain, uh, your, your supplier base, and reduce the risk of localized issues. So you've been touching on that, Liam, a, a little. Um, uh, Panos and Dr. Abhijit, uh, uh, are these, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Are you finding that people are diversifying their supply chains far more in order to not be so beholden to single points of, of supply? Absolutely. I mean, there are multiple examples. And I, if I could pick up one single example of Apple uh, manufacturing in China, like we are clearly started seeing geopolitical tensions between the two eminent countries. And uh, 
uh, certain amount of challenges in terms of the cost implications. And then there is a shift in the manufacturing plans to, let's say, for example, India or other parts of Asia, which is a classic example where there is uh, a diversification at the same time looking for alternatives. And a similar case uh, is for you know different types of food items. We have already started seeing that with the uh, different growing countries, uh, the businesses are trying to diversify and procure it from multiple sources rather than just relying on one single source, which could be an economic supplier uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the cost implications. But then obviously it um, creates a huge amount of risk challenges uh, or risks associated with, uh, with the single sourcing and thus the diversification. Mm. And I would, I'd like to build on Dr. Abi's comment because before he also mentioned sustainability. Um, and for example, I, I have a team that actually runs energy buying across a couple of regions. So with what we saw with the Ukraine uh, conflict, the, the war of, with Russia, um, with, we saw the prices spike, we saw crude spike, we saw gas in Europe go through the roof. Um, we suddenly woke up a lot of people of, hey, what, what do we do? So sustainability could be a win-win where you actually start investing in both in the renewable energy sector, whether it's, I mean, the UK, for example, has a lot of wind and it's a lot of more coming up. The rest of Europe is looking in, in Spain, Italy, Greece on, on solar panels. And suddenly that cost of investment is easily absorbed by the incremental gas prices we saw. So in the case of sustainability, you can have your cake and eat it. You can create more green energy. It can protect you in an energy crisis. And sometimes it will end up being cheaper than traditional energy. And that is actually supply chain re- building supply chain resilience for when things go wrong again. And that also answers the question from Ashley on the chat of what about geopolitical risk? Well, that's one of the ways you manage it. You invest in new sources and you create new supply chains in energy this time around that are greener, more sustainable, potentially cheaper at times and uh, a resource for the future. Hmm. The, the uh, political geopolitical dimension is, is certainly... Um... Fascinating, isn't it? Um, Liam, in particular, you must be experiencing this in, in the technology sector. Um, we were talking about China there. Um, the tensions between the US and China dating back several years, the trade war, of course, uh, under the uh, Trump administration. And, and now I've, I've heard several stories of tech companies pulling manufacturing out of China or, or Taiwan, you know, where a lot of components are traditionally made there for a lot of US suppliers. And now uh, for a lot of U.S. tech companies, I mean, and those companies are now relocating them, um, uh, as uh, the doctor was just saying, you know, to, to India, but also to Mexico, I've seen and so on. So um, how resilient to geopolitical uh, changes is, is Intel as an organization? It must be a massive issue for, for yourselves. Yeah, it's a massive issue for us, particularly, you know, uh, when we import into the U.S. Uh, products, you know, we all get hit with the same tariffs uh, that everyone else did. So for us, we had to diversify our own supply chain, look at alternative sources, and to answer your question, okay, pay more sometimes for you know more locations in Asia for manufacturer product. But then also for our, our own product that we sell, we saw our customer base you know uh, shifting their production out of China to other all over Southeast Asia, uh, India, Vietnam. You know, lots of different locations. So we've had to, you know, look at our own network and say, okay, well, is this resilient enough now? Is it fit for purpose? We have to, you know, relook at our network a lot more frequently now to adapt to this. We have our own um, logistics compliance team. Look at the trade regulations, which are constantly evolving, constantly changing. You know, it's, we see it in, in Europe, uh, new customs regulations. So there's constantly new um 
requirements, regulations coming in that you're having to adapt to. Um, customs agencies throughout the world are looking at this and saying, okay, well, we need to protect ourselves here as well. So we've had to invest significantly in this area the, the past couple of years. Mm. Um, I hope uh, we're covering some of these points for you, Ashley. Thank you for your follow-on question about the uh, distinct systems developing around China and the USA. So we're, we're, we're on to that point, I think. Um, I suppose I, I should um, throw a small local spanner into the works by mentioning the B word, Brexit, um, which is also creating supply chain challenges, not just for companies within the UK, but for companies selling into the UK. Previously, American companies, for example, any multinational companies have been able to address Europe as a single block, including the UK. And now noises politically um, from the UK suggest that we want to depart more from more European regulations. It's not clear what that means. Uh, um, that might affect, you know, data adequacy, all kinds of things, you know, physical trade um, standards. Who knows, you know, because the government's been very vague about these things. So this also creates geopolitical tensions. Um, um, Panos, so are you finding this, Liam? Are you finding this as well? Um, that without wishing to get sort of party political about um, the Brexit issue, but uh, it, it is a supply chain challenge, surely, because of the uncertainty, if nothing else. Well, and it creates incremental... Besides the uncertainty, when we're talking supply chain and resilience, etc. Yeah. McCain has a number of plants in the UK, and we have a number of plants in continental Europe. Before Brexit, these plants were seamlessly talking to each other and could ship product and support each other in case of demand or crisis or issues. Brexit puts a new virtual barrier on the import-export system and suddenly it creates incremental complexity from a data perspective, a regulation perspective, and at times this brings incremental costs. So it is, yeah, unfortunate. Yes. Um... Dr. Abigash, um, any thoughts yeah, on that? Absolutely. This has, this has created challenges for every sector, uh, so, you know, which, which are working on the principles of supply chain. Uh, mm -hmm. Even for the automotive sector, for example, the cars which are manufactured in UK are very difficult to be really then, uh, you know, like processed in the parts of Europe and vice versa because of the different, you know, like uh, trade barriers and um, the port delays and the congestions what we are facing more recently so uh, it's it's a it's a very uh, classic challenge where things have really slowed down and uh, there are lots of uh, barriers which were not earlier present in the system and uh, thus making the whole supply chains far more inefficient due to the brexit related challenges mm. yeah. i think it's it's the, it's the uncertainty as well you know you know there's more negotiations going on we don't know what's going to come from that what's going to come out of it. So how do you, you know, we spoke about building our digital systems and building resilience in our networks a while ago, but when you don't know what the, the rules of the game are going to be in a couple of months' time, it's very hard to build a network and around that. So it's the lack of certainty, I think, is the, the biggest challenge for us in terms of, okay, if we knew what we were dealing with, okay, we can get on with it. But you don't know, and it's that lack of certainty. Hmm. Um, Panos, are you finding this in in, uh, in McCain? Well, by now we've managed to to deal with the uncertainty, and um, we we've adapted to it. Um, I wish it went away. I wish. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe I'm 
maybe I'm a humanitarian, and but I, I wish we we all looked at each other as more human, as more people of the planet. Uh, I, I wish we more loved each other versus create artificial or physical barriers, including the geopolitical issues we've been discussing. Um, the the more we strive to be human, and the more the more it helps us develop a better future for our kids and develop GDP and growth for everyone. So I'm very simplistic. I know it's a way more complex issue, but that's my that's my thought there. I, I suppose um, one of the issues is that um, you know the political positioning going on. You can understand it from a local UK point of view in terms of sort of votes and so on. But but it's you know for a long time uh, a lot of issues have been driven very much by the EU in terms of data protection standards. They're, they're now driving the issue on on AI standards and regulation. So um, we may end up having to follow a lot of these regulations and rules anyway while pretending we're not doing so because otherwise it would be impossible to trade with with some of our biggest trading partners from a UK perspective. Um, so uh, on that point another one of our talking points for today is, is to avoid and minimize the impact of non-compliance which I know is um, a very uh, you know broad topic but um, so rather than get into the compliance issues within specific industries, which is, we know, are very complicated financial services, manufacturing, they're very different compliance issues. Um, I suppose just uh, talking about the issues of, of standards and sort of measurements and all this kind of, uh, and just overall trade agreements, um, that kind of non-compliance. Um, um, we've touched on that with uh, talking about Brexit, but um, how difficult is it to manage global supply chains when you're having to deal with lots of different local issues in terms of, of regulatory compliance and so on. Yeah, I think it's something that we've learned, you know, over the past number of years that, you know, our systems basically weren't able to cope with the level of change and what the requirements and the regionalization requirements. So, you know, we embarked on a program a number of years ago because, okay, your, your, the initial trade war started a number of years ago, so, okay, now we deal with this, but then it's something else, another country brings in some regulation. So, what we've started to do is we've re-engineered basically our whole kind of trade compliance um, systems to develop, you know, adapt and build resilience into that so that we can we can customize and adapt uh, much faster as uh, regulations have changed. Because we've seen, you know, it's not it's no longer a, a one-off; it's constant. It's and it's no longer one. Uh, you know, those China, US, it's no longer just confined to every country has is adapting and driving their own. Uh, trade requirements and you have to comply you know this isn't this isn't optional so you have to be able to adapt and adapt quickly at um to, to be able to you know keep your network moving uh dr abigail i know you're you're particularly passionate about the issue of climate change and, and trying to make uh, supply chains resilient to that so um do you want to talk to talk through some of the the key imperatives at the moment as i know this is very much on a lot of people's agenda, but how does it translate into practical advice for people? Yeah, th thanks, Chris. That's a very um, interesting aspect here uh, related to climate change, where, where we conducted a study with uh, practitioners and senior supply chain managers uh, looking at the uh, the implications of climate change on their day-to-day -day businesses. And surprisingly, they, they didn't, didn't, didn't show any particular trained in terms of direct implication. They said, yeah, there might be some indirect implications. But when you redo this uh, exercise, which we haven't done yet, but then if you do it now, you can clearly see the 
uh, a drastic difference in terms of the, the observations which are likely to come. And what we are seeing from, from some of the research, what we have been conducting here at Cranfield School of Management, is that the implications of climate change are severely felt on a couple of specific sectors, like the first one is food supply chain, is uh, heavily impacted in terms of the food shortages, primarily because of increase in the flood levels or the drought levels in different parts of the world. We are also starting to see implications on the uh, high-tech manufacturing in terms of, in terms of the shortage of uh, you know, components, the mineral ores, which are becoming far more uh, less and less available. And the third sector is the transportation sector, which is really facing a significant implication, like um, the roads which were operational in the parts of Canada during the winter seasons are no more operable. And uh, the similar challenges in parts of, let's say, Jakarta, a city, capital city of Indonesia, where we have already started seeing the increase in the water levels, reducing the amount of uh, resources for the transportation within the bigger, big cities uh, of, of that nature. So clearly there are strong implications uh, associated with, uh, with these availability of raw material for different sectors. And they, these are creating uh, challenges in terms of increased cost. We are already seeing the uh, massive increase in the food products, um, which, which we might currently say it as linked to the uh, current, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Ukraine war, but then there are some indirect implications which are also linked to the climate change. Hmm. Uh, Panos, any thoughts on this? What are, your, what are McCain's priorities from a climate change point of view? Is it to do with uh, finding uh, raw materials for foods that, that are more sustainable? Is it to do with more sustainable transport, about energy? I mean, uh, it's a very complex picture. It's, we, we have a motto online, which I love, which is we, we want to give the world planet-friendly food, whatever it takes. So, and that goes across all the aspects you described. It, it starts with the basic of the potatoes. How do we educate the farmers to sustainably grow potatoes that, and actually change crops throughout the year so the soil actually regenerates and becomes better? And we have a number of sustainable farms that actually are doing exactly that education. But then it comes to the whole discussion of the oils we put in the supply chain, the raw materials we buy, the plastic packaging we do. So we're actually the energy, the green energy that I talked that we're investing in. So we're proactively putting in sustainability um, and a planet-friendly future as part of every strategy. So any strategy in our ecosystem, whether it's in sales, whether it's in procurement, whether it's marketing, needs to have a planet-friendly aspect. And if it doesn't, it has to be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that permeates the, the company, um, and, and it comes from the leadership, it comes from the top, where everyone speaks about planet-friendly food, um, it makes it a great place to be, uh, but also it makes it a place where it consciously wants to have the planet in the future to serve. Um, and I'll stop there because it can take. We can talk sustainability for hours. Sure, um, I su- uh, Liam. Um, I suppose in some ways the sustainability aspects of the food industry, um, the panelists was just talking about, uh, are more obvious or, or more easy to, to sell to, to customers. Uh, are they a bit more complex for for a high tech organization like Intel to, to appear to be and to be to actually be um, sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, energy consumption of, you know, the high tech companies putting strains on, you know, electricity networks. So that's something we're very conscious of trying to, you know, drive more renewable electricity, water usage as well, and semiconductor manufacturing, huge, huge water consumption. Again, trying to drive recycling, regeneration of water. So, you know, locally, uh, you know, where we would operate manufacturing plants, that is a major issue. So, you know, it's, it's not just playing the green credentials, you know, just, you know, I think Panos might have mentioned around sustainability uh, can work 
Um, but it's something to, you know, to be a good corporate citizen, as well as, you know, trying to make it work for yourself and to, you know, secure your own supply of energy, water in our case, you know, so to not be as wasteful as what we may have been in the past. Mm. There's uh, another question coming from Ashley Cook. Thank you for your um, for your diligence in, in asking, Ashley. Uh, in recent years, we've seen the supply chain become a core aspect for organizations that have ensured that supply chain is reviewed as a valuable competitive advantage. So um, he's asking, is there a need for a paradigm shift in the C-suite from cost drivers, finance, to value driver mentality? Um, should procurement and supply chain relegate finance to be a junior member of the C-suite? That's a very interesting question. Um, who wants to feel that? I'm, I'm happy to uh, give it a go, Like. Uh, essentially, yeah, absolutely right uh, for the for the person who has raised this question. In the past, supply chain man manage managers were not involved in the C-suite or board of director meetings, and clearly the, the 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 stage has changed where supply chain has become an integral part of the business strategy and the growth uh, opportunities what organization looks for. So, if I have to really uh, pinpoint on the on the aspect which really needs to be taken care and th those are fundamental KPIs for the supply chain performance are obviously the cost is a bottom line, but then we are also starting to focus more on the time dimension, which is the lead time, the delays involved in the supply chain, which are creating huge amount of implications along with the service level, which is becoming quite prominent, especially in the digital supply chain era. And all these like, you know, KPIs, if you take into account all these three, four KPIs uh, in, in consideration, if you perform better uh, in, on, on those KPIs, you are likely to really have a growth in terms of uh, your your share market value, the brand reputation, uh, and the, and the other aspects which are long term in terms of the uh, business performance. So clearly, supply chain is becoming integral part, and uh, the the businesses are realizing there is need to be shift from the cost element to more of the focus on the time as well as the service level dimension. Hmm. Uh, Panos Liam, do you have any thoughts on this? The position of finance within. The C-suite and should the supply chains be given much greater prominence in there? I, I don't think you ever shift finance out of the C-suite. Um, they still call our shots, but you know we have seen definitely the value of supply chain. I mentioned earlier on that you know supply chain now we're involved in you know very early on in terms of product design. So you know product concept we're in there providing feedback and looking at the you know it's a supply chain. Um, resilience basically of the products and see if we make those improvements so that there's that recognition across the company that you know you can't go it alone there's no point in having supply chain as, as an afterthought supply chain has to be designed in and planned into into products and recognition that it can be significant uh, value add Fantastic. Yeah, and just to, to close this out uh, and to build on Liam, I've been blessed to work in organizations that had both supply chain and finance and procurement in the C-suite and even in McCain today, both the CFO and the chief operations officer are very, are very value-driven and future-driven versus cost-driven, which makes it a blessing. So my answer to the question is, it, there are organizations out there that are already value-driven across the whole C-suite versus cost-cutting. So find these organizations and work for them, and the rest of the organizations will follow. Um, and if you're in an organization that is very cost-driven and it's hectic, et cetera, maybe you should reevaluate your choices. <laughs> um, the, the Ashley is um, asking more questions. Um, uh, this might be one for you, Liam, as you were talking about water. Um, have the panelists reviewed the Porto Protocol on water management? 
Um, is that something you're familiar with? Me personally, no, but I'm sure the people looking after the, our water conservation efforts, I'm sure they're aware of it. I haven't heard of this, sorry, no. Okay. Um, Dr. Abigash? No, I haven't come across uh, this particular, so uh, sorry, not able to comment. All right. Same, um, same here. I don't know the I don't know the protocol, but I know I can tell you that in McCain we're actively looking at water usage, recycled water, a closed water system loop, and actually reducing water consumption. Also, we increase production. So, um, I don't know the protocol itself, but uh, water is, as energy as other sources, very important to actually be taken significantly seriously. Okay. I hope that asks, uh, answers your question, uh, Ashley. Uh, the short answer is no, but the long answer is, you know, the issues that it raises are, are certainly uh, are being discussed with, within all our panelist organisations. Um, in summary, then, as, as I think we should, uh, we're running out of time today. Um, what, what are your sort of closing thoughts about um, the need for evaluating solutions, um, different solutions that, we, that can be integrated into your processes to mitigate different forms of risk. So really we've been talking about how to mitigate risk, which is in a way about anticipating it before it happens, as well as how to react to it after the worst has happened. So um, Dr. Abigash, um, you know, thoughts about key strategies for mitigating risk? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think in general, like when we look at the supply chain risk and resilience as an area, we need to start focusing on a couple of important variables which we sometimes you know disregard one of them is the data data is becoming a new oil where we need to really uh, capitalize on the ability of that availability of data and how can we actually make decisions we have to also look at the the people capabilities in terms of skills that's something which is which is growing especially for the areas of supply chain design supply chain analytics we are also need to we also need to focus more on the uh, supply chain redesign aspect so uh, you know like one solution is not the fit solution for all the all the problems. So we need to start looking at, okay, if the capacity has increased, if the demand has increased, do we need to start redesigning our supply chain? So looking at the element of reverse logistics combined with the forward supply chain is also an important consideration. And the, the shift towards that uh, brick and mortar to digital platforms is very, very important. So utilizing industry 4.0 uh, technologies like IoT, uh, cloud computing, and similar other platforms is going to be some of the important uh, variables which will help to mitigate supply chain resilience. Thank you. Um, Panos, so one of the issues I ask sometimes write about as a journalist is, is we always think about the cloud as, as almost like this fog of code in the sky. But in reality, of course, it's data centers built on land on, under local laws and regulations. So it, also knowing where your data is, is, is critically important as knowing what the data is. Um, is this an issue that, that you're dealing with at McCain in terms of trying to ensure that you know where your, where your data is, how you, as well as how you're managing it? Um, yeah, you need to be aware of, I think Liam would even answer it better because Intel has way more data than we do. But yeah, knowing where your data centers are, who runs them, what your deals are, um, what your backups are per data center is very important. And to answer also your technology question and to build on Dr. Abigaj, you need to segment all your risk areas and then do a best of breed approach solution for each of these areas. Because one size obviously does not fit all and a solution for cybersecurity is different than a solution for privacy and it's different to a solution for cloud backup. Yeah. 
Um, Liam, your, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think Palace mentioned okay, about the data and as well, you know, we put a huge focus as well on uh, not just where the data is stored, but how it's stored. So, uh, you know, making sure everyone can access it, how the data is connected in terms of, okay, stitching together different parts of data from different aspects of the supply chain. So external, internal, bill, I put all this together. Whereas before, you might have looked at data in isolation. Now it's a case, of, okay, we'll look at a huge amount of data. How do we make sense of all this and how do we consume it? So the consumption of data and make it and to make sense. So, you know, hear a lot of stories about data sciences, but at the end of the day, data is about, okay, well, having someone that's clever enough to access the data, put it together and tell a compelling story and to, you know, to, to round off that on your supply chain uh, risk resilience, you know, to be able to utilize all the data to send, or identify, okay, well, what are the possible risks we could have? And then to utilize the data again to, okay, how could we work around that? So the data is there. It's just a question of how do we use it? Um, we've had a, a question in which, uh, forgive me for not noting it earlier, uh, from Eshwa. So I wasn't deliberately ignoring you, Eshwa. I didn't see the question come in. Um, it, risk becoming very frequent. Uh, are supply chains becoming more robust and resilient? And what it, I think the key point of the question is what skills uh, are, what skill sets should be in demand for supply chain professionals now in this new environment? This is probably a good point to uh, to close on, I think, the skill sets we need for to today and for the future. Uh, if I could take that, I think this is exactly what we are trying to address here at Cranfield School of Management is bringing this um, uh, marriage of what we call it as subject expertise and the uh, expertise in terms of how to make sense of the data and convert into information. So uh, we, we have got a lot of focus more on supply chain analytics where you know we are building this subject knowledge expertise in supply chain looking at different areas like warehouse transportation procurement manufacturing distribution these are all core functions of supply chain which obviously you need to have that good understanding but how do you really really make robust decisions and how can you actually use that data to really analyze it using predictive prescriptive analytic techniques and then make informed decisions which are more attached and linked uh, together. So I think that's where the focus is. And uh, I think those capabilities are definitely going to benefit uh, in the longer run uh, in the supply chain management field. Thank you. That's fantastic. Well, um, thank you, uh, Eshwar, for your questions. Uh, apologies for not coming to them sooner. Um, that's, that's it for us today. Gentlemen, thank you very much for a fascinating discussion. Uh, touched on a lot of things. Join us every Wednesday at uh, four o'clock for um, Supply Chain Talk. Um, our next one uh, is on the 15th of February and on tips to successfully digitize your fleet. And that's with my colleague, uh, Alistair Sharitan. So thank you very much uh, for everyone uh, who's taken part in the discussion today. Thank you for your questions. And um, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you next time.